Pat. Before we get started, uh, I do want to say something really quickly. Yesterday was uh, Veterans Day, uh, and I just wanted quickly, I don't know if we have anybody here that, that maybe or maybe is a veteran, but is there a veteran here today that we want to make sure we honor you and say thank you to you for all your service? Didn't know if there was. Uh, I know many of you are related to as well, but just want to say a special thank you to all those who serve to, uh, to our country um, and the, the freedoms that we have. So we're very grateful for that. Uh, if you would, grab a Bible, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, we are in our series called Church Matters, and uh, I just want to say also another housekeeping thank you to the kitchen committee back there, uh, the hosts and hostesses who are working. I've been told to preach as long as I can to help them get ready, so I'm just kidding. Some of y'all are kind of freaking out already. Um, usually this time of year, they'll tell me at the end, when if, if I see this in the back, stretch it out, stretch it. They're, they're not ready yet, so I'll keep going. Um, uh, if you're with us for the first time today, we are in a series called Church Matters. Um, about a month ago, we did a survey in our church, and we looked kind of an internal evaluation of who we are, uh, things we do well, things that we don't do well, things we can learn about ourselves. We covered a lot last week, and I talked about prayer, but we looked at ministry, uh, and we looked at uh, 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 those kind of things. But today's going to talk about fellowship. Um, and just to kind of catch you up in case you may be with us for the first time, what we're doing in this series in just in November is each week we're going to look at uh, different areas. We've, we're going to look at fellowship. Next week will be discipleship and evangelism and kind of see kind of where we are. Uh, the, the, the heartbeat behind this was to evaluate ourselves and get better at what we can get better and things that we don't do well, maybe we could grow in those areas. Uh, so what I'm going to do before we get into the message and read our text is I'm going to share some information we learned uh, in our from our fellowship survey. Uh, again, it's in the foyer. If you want to email, you can fill it out, and there's one by the, 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 the office if you'd like to grab this. But let me run through this, a little housekeeping, so bear with me, uh, a lot of information, and then we'll transition to the message. But this is what we learned about ourselves from our survey. Uh, 160-question survey, 53 people filled it out, so thank you for doing that. But here's what we learned. We had some um, unhealthy areas that when it comes to fellowship, which a lot of churches do that. But we learned, the first thing was that the church has had conflict in, the, in recent days. Uh, split, uh, some say yes, some say no, 22% is undecided. We talked about conflict a lot back in Romans. Every church has it, but we got to wrestle through that and keep the main thing the main thing. We're going to talk about that today, about unity. Uh, some other things came up, like about anger. Uh, we were kind of split on that. Some think that the church has anger issues. Just kidding. Something that wrestling with anger, uh, some feel like we're okay, but 18% weren't really sure. One question that was interesting uh, that we scored really, really, really low on was this. Let me explain. That the church should prioritize meeting the needs of its members. Now, here's the thing. I didn't like that question. If you filled it out, if it, I didn't really like it because I wanted to write in there, well, yeah, we meet the needs of our members, but that's not it. But we scored really low on that because... I actually said, well, yeah, we need to meet the needs of the members, but not just that. The point of that is that we do focus on ourselves as a church, but not just that, but that we reach out about beyond the walls to everyone. Okay, so that's, the, that's kind of where that score was. Uh, the majority of the church, this is a positive, felt that they enjoyed being together, which is a good sign. Uh, the majority, this is, this is something I starred here because I think it's something we can learn about ourselves, that they say that they do not socialize with members of the church outside the church often which shows me that there needs to be fellowships, maybe outside the church walls, do life together. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, the church felt that we were predominantly unified. 19% said they weren't sure. Uh, majority feel like this is interesting, that sometimes there can be cliques, and cliques are people that join with common interest, but it's also sometimes hard to get in, uh, which is something I think every one of us, especially in the church, we can look and say, we don't ever want to be a church where it's kind of hard to fit in and belong. Uh, which that's not who we are. We'll see that in just a minute. But I think we can learn from that. 
Uh, let's see. A majority feel that there are, uh, there's a healthy relationships between the staff. I thought that was positive. There you go. Um, majority feel like uh, the, the group or class, they reach out to others. 29 people or 54% said they were undecided. Maybe that's due to a lack of maybe uh, not going to a class. Maybe they're not sure what, what those classes do. Uh, I thought this was a positive. The majority, overwhelming majority, felt they were excited to be a part of the church. Uh, there was a split about whether the community sees us as unified. 34% felt that they were undecided. So we talked last week about how the undecided votes really skew. We don't really know. Uh, the majority feel like they belong in the church, which I thought was positive. Uh, there was some unclear on dealing with flagrant, flagrant unrepentant uh, of members about how the church deals with those. This was telling 51 over, over half were undecided because they weren't really sure maybe how that goes. Um, that's something that, that we kind of learned about ourselves. Uh, the majority feel like they were willing to reach out to a non-church person and invite them. Um, and there were some low scores on that. Uh, 14% were undecided. Uh, the majority felt loved and accepted when they started coming to the church, and I thought that was a positive thing. The issue of the day as we transition is fellowship. Again, all that and more is available for you uh, in the full year, or I can email that to you. But the issue of the day is fellowship. Fellowship in the original language is koinonia, this, what we share or have in common. This fellowship, this communion, and there are things in this world as a church that there are things that want to tear that apart. There are conflict. There will be cliques. There will be anger. We're a bunch of sinful human beings trying to do life as a church. Now, look at me this morning before we read our text. I've said this since Romans. Do you, and if you agree that the church is what God has ordained to reach the world, to establish his kingdom on this earth, would you agree that that is exactly where Satan's going to want to hit us? Would you agree that that's what Satan's going to want to kind of steal? He's going to want to fray. He's going to tear relationships apart. He's going to use that click, use that anger, use that unforgiveness, use the chance of division to splinter the body. Why? To hinder the work of the Lord, right? The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and authorities. It is a spiritual battle. So as we look at fellowship today, the Lord's kind of led me to a text in Ephesians chapter 4. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. We're going to read our text together. If you do not have your Bible, there's a one in front of you. We have it on the screen for you as well. I chose this text because it has a lot of stuff that's relevant, not only to the survey, but I think it's good for us. And the point of the sermon is that we might grow together and see our role to be unified as a body of Christ. So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to go 1 through 16. Well, let's read it and then we'll pray together. The Apostle Paul says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you who were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is over all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it's said, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to them. But what does it mean that he accept, excuse me, except that he who descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. 
to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown around uh, by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body is joined together from every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray together. If you're with us for the first time, this is an opportunity for you to kind of bow your heads, close your eyes, take a deep breath, relax. And I just want to give you a moment to pray. Um, we're going to walk through this text. We're going to have a fantastic fellowship. But I just want you in your own heart and your own way. Um, I don't know how your week's been. Maybe you're busy weekend. Maybe it's been great. Maybe it's struggle. Maybe there's life that's been kind of pressing on you. Maybe you're having a hard time focusing today. But would you just be still for just a moment and ask him to teach you, to shape you, to mold you something great today. And if you don't mind, pray for me that I would speak according to the text and what he'd have for us. Father, you know our hearts, and you know um, the highs and the lows. You know what's around the corner. You know where we've been. And Father, as we come and we gather under your name, and um, we come from different homes, different backgrounds, uh, but we come into this place that we believe that you have carved out on purpose for us to have this corporate gathering. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to be blessed as we look at your word and as we've been celebrating and worshiping you in song. But God, would you speak to us? I say it every week, I cannot change anybody in this room. There is not a a, a tone of my voice, there's nothing I can say, I can't word it in just the right way that's going to change somebody's heart today, but you can. By your spirit, by your word, and I pray that you would do that. We ask your blessings on this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, um, a long, long time ago, I was a teenager, and... um, you know, now I'm raising them, but I remember I was sitting there thinking as I was working through this, I, I felt like I needed to call my mom and apologize for all the things of growing up. I'll call it, uh, mom, I'm sorry. But I was thinking I had a flashback of many conversations that my parents had with me because maybe like you or maybe your teenagers, there's sometimes there's this desire, you just want to grow up. Um, and I remember my parents sitting me down and there was these times when I just, I, I felt like I knew everything. I felt like I had exactly, if I just could do, just be left alone, I had it all mapped out. And I remember conversations that my mom and my dad had with me, and they had to constantly remind me by my character and by the way I'm living, I was not ready for responsibility because I was not willing to live that and step up and grow up. All the things that I wanted, all the independence, all the things that I felt that I deserved, that I was ready for, my mom and my dad had to constantly remind me, you're not ready. And I had lots of conversations of, David, it's time to grow up. 
that pastoral language or parental language, excuse me, is where, where Paul's writing to this church. And, and, and the theme of the day is for us as a church to grow and mature. And there's some cool things I want to pull from you from this text. So I just want to jump right into it. But I want you to see the bottom line is that it's, it's time for the church, it's time for us, it's time for all of churches to grow, mature, and progress and become who they're supposed to be. The beginning of chapter 4, as we're jumping in this, um, is where Paul makes a transition from this book of Ephesians. He's been talking about, in chapter 1, about Christ, the redemption of forgiveness, obtaining an inheritance that, that is sealed for us by the Spirit. And in chapter 2, he talks to this beautiful language of being brought from death to life by the death of Jesus Christ. He doesn't make you a better person. He doesn't make you from bad to good. He has brought you from death to life by dying your death, bleeding out for you, and conquering death through the, uh, by his resurrection. And then in chapter 3, he prays a bold prayer for this church that they would be strengthened and that they would be rooted and established in the gospel. Now hear this. And then in chapter 4 today, he turns a corner and he's going to kind of almost like a parental language. He's like, but I want you to get it. In the first century, I want you to grow up as a church. I want you to live a life. And we're going to walk through this that is worthy of Jesus. But it's also as the church in the first century of you got to grow up and you got to stay together. So I don't have really a bullet point list, and I just want to flow through this text, but look at verse 1. Paul, uh, uh, writing this in chains as a prisoner, says, I, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word I want to jump out there right there is this word worthy. And what it means is balance in the original language. Picture, picture a scale. with On one side you have beliefs, what you believe, and the other side you have your life. Now, what, what, what this language is talking about, living a life worthy, it's not just about what I believe, believe, but I don't live it. It's about having a life that's in balance. And that's a great testimony and, 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 a, and an illustration for our kids about growing them up, about what this Christian life looks like. Because imagine a life that's out of balance. Can you believe and not live it? Yeah. You can believe all the things and the facts and the figures about Jesus and not live it. You can understand you've been forgiven and choose not to forgive people. You can understand the purposes of the church but choose to withdraw. But you can also do the other thing. You can, you can have it totally out of balance where it's got to be both belief and practice in balance. And what Paul is saying to you and I as the church in Olton and in, in Ephesus is we need to live a life that is worthy of this calling on our lives. We are redeemed by his blood. We are adopted sons and daughters. And he desperately, hear this, he desperately, just like a parent wanting their kid to, to grow up and to mature, be what you're supposed to be. He desperately wants the church to know that Christ dwells in their hearts, chapter 3, to experience how wide, how long, how high, and how deep this love of Jesus is. And then, church, he wants them to live it. He wants them to be in balance. So here's the thing. Verse 1, right off the bat, let me ask you this question. Believer, is your life worthy? Is your life in balance? Can I confess to you that there is so often in my life where I live out of balance, I believe, and I have these things where I'm holding firm to, but sometimes the outworking of that gets out of whack. And it's a call to repentance to come back because Paul wants this church not just to believe in, in, in doctrines and all these things, but he wants them to be rooted but to grow. Because God help us if we are a church that believes all this about Jesus, but when it comes to the unity and the functionality of the body living it, we don't do it. God help us if that's who we become. So right off the bat, for Ephesus and Olton, he's saying, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I plead with you. I'm begging you, if I could use that language. I'm urging you, just like a parent to your kid, it is time 
to mature. I'm urging you to live a life in balance. Verse 2, he's going to give some B statements. Look at, the, look at your Bible. Verse 2 through 5 as we go through this. He says, I'm going to ask you to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing one another in love. And make every effort, church, make every effort, David, make every effort, put your name in there, to keep or maintain the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is through all and in all. Do you see the B statements? If you have a Bible, underline those. He gives us these B statements, these imperative expectations on you. Parents, you have expectations on your kids? I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you. I'm expecting you to do this. Paul's parental language here, he's, I'm saying, be completely, and he lists them, humble, gentle, patient, and bear with others. I joked about this back in Romans, about how we belong to one another. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes there's a church that belongs to one another. Are you ready? Sometimes it's hard to belong to other people. Newsflash, sometimes it may be hard for people to belong to you. And what Paul is asking us as the body is to say we need to not just be those things, but to be completely. And I, 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 I look at this text, and sometimes I, I almost want to joke about it. I think, well, Paul must not have known what it's like to do life in a small town and deal with family, deal with those people, deal with conflicts, deal with work, deal with friendships, deal with relationships. Paul must not have understood that, right? He must not have, he, this is a joke. There's no way. But if you think opposite, he's saying don't be proud, don't be aggressive, don't be hasty, don't be... This one's hard. Don't be easily offended. Don't be unforgiving. Don't escalate. But he's asking us to stay humble and gentle and patient. Now, I think we'd all agree that there are times in life where that's hard to do. Dare I say impossible. And I had a flashback, and I remember a long, long time ago, maybe I was reflecting on my childhood these, this week or whatever, but I remember in seventh grade when I started athletics, I remember I had a coach named Coach Spain. Um, he, he was, I remember he was a redheaded coach, he got after us, and I remember that stuff, but he, I remember the first time I was excited, and I got my pads, and we got to put pads in our pants, and I didn't know what I was doing, and my dad had to help me do that, but I remember the first practice, so we did all the fun stuff, and then we said, hey, line up on the, on the sideline, we're going to run, I was like, what, what, what are we, what are we doing, and so we started running back and forth, gassers, as they called them, I don't know if they still call them that, but we ran gassers back and forth, and I remember saying this, I remember saying, coach, this is hard, and I'll never forget it, it was Coach Spain in seventh grade, said, David, if it wasn't hard, everybody would be doing it. And I don't know why that stuck out at me, but I was thinking about, yes, the things that God has called us to do, the things that Paul is telling us, it's not just hard, it's impossible. But here's the thing, every, if it was without the Spirit, without the help of the, of the Holy God, everybody could do this, but you can't outside of the Spirit. You cannot forgive, you cannot be humble, you cannot be patient, and you cannot bear with others outside of the saving grace of Jesus in your life. By his spirit alone can we do that. And just like athletes who are willing to do what it takes, to put in the work and do the hard things, Christians are called to do the hard things, to do the impossible. But notice in verse 3, did you notice who, who creates the peace? It's not you and it's not me. The call on you and the call on me is to keep it, to maintain it. You can't create it. You can't make peace. I know sometimes we pull the word peacemakers. We need to be that. But the scripture tell us that we are to maintain it or to keep it, which basically says, for me and for you, church, don't do something to disrupt the peace of what God's doing. We've got to fight for it. 
out of an overflow of the gospel, out of an overflow of God's love for us. And I love how J.D. Greer puts this, because when we understand the gospel, we understand what Jesus has done for us, it's going to outwork itself into healthy relationships. Look at what J.D. Greer says. This. He says, if you relish a fight, a controversy, or are okay with neglecting the unity and squandering the peace within the body of Christ, he says, you've not experienced the fullness of the good news of Jesus. What he's saying here is that anyone who willingly and purposely is okay with doing, acting, speaking, treating people, living in a way that's divisive, has not truly experienced the fullness in, of the gospel. It's powerful, it's true. And we lose sight of the unity, we lose sight of the church, we lose sight of this good news, and we, we push it away. I know in my life, I've told this story several times, just an illustration of my life, when I'm, whenever I'm struggling in the flesh and the most of my sin, it's when I'm not close to Jesus. I've said this on this stage countless times as the pastor of this church. If I'm not reading my Bible, if I'm not prayed up, i got to fight that flesh because I can be hasty, I can be unforgiving, I can be bitter, I can be all those things. And when we're not close to Jesus, we're not, we're not fighting for that intimacy with him, the flesh is going to win. So Paul's saying, church family, a lot of your calling, walk in a manner worthy, live a life in balance. We've got to love people, we've got to stay humble, we've got to fight for one another. And then he gets into a cool part in verse 7 through 10 as we go quickly through this. He's going to move from uh, uh, our unity and look at diversity. Look at verse 7. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. This is quoting Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. But what does he ascended mean except that he, is, he descended to the lowly earthly regions? Look at verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. When Christ ascended and the Holy Spirit came, he gave gifts to his people, abilities to equip the body, to equip the church, to equip his sons and daughters, to build up the body. And I think it's profound, and God hit me with this this week, it's profound when it seems out of context. It seems like 7 through not 10 is kind of out of ordinary, but unity, and he's going to end with unity, but in the middle of it, he's going to say, by the way, you've got, a, you've got gifts and you've got a role. I mean, let me ask you a question real quick. Do you find it harder to criticize things that you're a part of? You ever done something? I remember, I, remember I, I used to coach a long time ago, and I find myself thinking, man, it's easier. You know, everybody's better at coaching the stands and knows what the, everything's better. And I, I remember, I'm, even like right now, I'm, very, I'm not very critical of preachers because I know sometimes it's easy to sit out there and be like, man, I wish you would have used this illustration. I didn't like that text. Or I wish I'd have done this. It's easy to criticize things you're not a part of. It's easy to criticize the body and, and to, to attack the church when you're not a part of it. And it's mind-blowing when Paul is reminding them everybody's got a role. In Romans, we talked about an arm, a leg, a hand, a foot. Everybody's got a role to fill in this body to build up the unity, build up the body. And it's not out of context. It's what Paul's trying to remind this church that you are a part of something. And God's given you a gift and an ability, and, and that's something we're going to work on later about figuring that out. Because you know what? A, a lot of people who filled the survey out said that they may know their gifts, but they don't use it. Deb and I were talking this week, we were talking about how sometimes maybe we need to, maybe we need to do something to help people figure out, because you know what's going to tell me in a minute? That my job as the pastor is to help equip you. And so let me just push pause on a sermon for a minute. If there's anyone in this room that hears my voice and thinking, man, I don't know what, how God can use me. I'm allergic to teenagers. I don't want to work with those kids. I don't like children. I'm just kidding. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in the church. I don't know. I don't know how I can serve. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We all have a role. 
Christ, in verse 11, says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, not an exhaustive list, but catch this, he gave some to be evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body may be built up. Why? Verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of Christ. That is a monster text I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Verse 12 reminds us that the leadership, myself, that we are supposed to equip you and train you and help you. The word equip in the original language, I, I like these things. It kind of helps me understand it. He talks about what it means. It's almost like equipping is to basically um, reset a broken limb. And I was thinking of this morning, I was praying, I was sitting in my office, and I was thinking, imagine a church that's got a bunch of people with broken legs walking around until they are equipped and they kind of get back in joint, if you will. To be equipped means that you have found where God has called you to be, and that may not be something anybody else knows. It may not be an up front and center. It may be behind the scenes. But God's purpose in sending Christ was not just to save you. Yes, it was part of that, but he's also to equip you and to build up the body. That's us. To be a servant, to serve, to teach, to pray, and do these things. I was thinking about something uh, just a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. I had a friend named Jason who showed up, and uh, he was passing through. He was doing something, and he's my friend from San Antonio. He's my best friend from college, and um, he, uh, he came on a Wednesday night. Came, he came up here. And he goes, hey, what do y'all do? And I said, so we got kids everywhere spread out, kids here, youth over there. And he came to prayer meeting. Now, if you don't know a prayer meeting, I've, I, I've been trying to advocate prayer meeting. We'd love to have you. We pray at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. But he came at prayer meeting, and he's from San Antonio at a pretty large church. And he walks into a prayer meeting with about eight people and me. And I remember walking in there thinking, man, that's cool. I was like, he's going to think it's kind of weird, whatever. But he was there. He, he saw we had the prayer list out. We mentioned names, people that were sick, hurting, some that have lost loved ones. Unspoken prayer request. We wrote his names. He sees all this. And I remember as we got going, I thought he's just going to sit there. And then all of a sudden he began to pray. And he got choked up. He started crying in his prayer. You know, some people just cry a lot. He's a crier. I'm just going to throw this out there. He's a crier. Um, but afterwards, I asked him, and he said, man, that's the church. And I said, I know. He said, man, eight people back there walking through a prayer list. He goes, you got people that are, that are fighting for your church. And I said, I know. And he said, don't be embarrassed about that. Don't ever think that that's something less than. Because that's the church. Now, the people at prayer meeting didn't pay me to say this. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know what your gift is. Now, hear this. I don't know what, you, what your niche is. You think, man, I can't. I joke about being allergic to teenagers, a teacher, all that. Prayer, prayer work, whatever. God has given you something and whether you visit this church or a part of this church or thinking about being a part of this church, that God has equipped all of us. And it's not just about you and it's not just about me. It's about us. It's about building up the body. It's about building up the body of Christ. And I think about Jason's visit all the time when I think about every little nuance of ministry that we have. It's not always the up front and center one. Sometimes it's the behind the scenes with the people that are gifted and called to do something that maybe somebody else won't. And together we can... Experience the fullness. Did, I want you to see this, this massive verse in 11 through 13. It's a monster text. He said, together the church can experience the fullness of Christ and, it, and express his fullness to the world around us. You see, what he's saying is that for anybody who wants to diminish the church, you don't need the church. I don't, I don't have to go to church. I don't really have a Without the church, Paul's saying, 
You can't experience the fullness of Jesus. You cannot mature to become who Christ wants you to be. Look at it. He says, hey, yes, in 12, to equip, but look at verse 13. Until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the full measure of Jesus Christ. Church, if there was a plea from your pastor to say, hey, plug in. If you ever want to, uh, uh, you know, put a, put a marker of your life, say, man, we got we to gotta fight for Sunday mornings. We got to fight for a place to be. We got to get our families there. We got to make this a rhythm of our life, a natural thing, because here's the thing. When people want to pull away, when they want to isolate, when they want to go do something different, when they want to leave, whatever it is, and they don't need the church, it becomes a massive spiritual battle. Because according to Paul, we collectively cannot experience the fullness of Jesus Christ outside of the work of the body. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no growth by yourselves. I can't isolate and grow and become mature, complete, and not like it. It doesn't happen. Scripture speaks totally against that. That's why we have each other, and it's not just to cloister ourselves off and be like, have our holy huddles and be the church. No, it is to come and to learn and to praise him and to give him glory, to become equipped, to hear the word of God, find out our gifts and abilities and be an ambassador for Jesus and leave this place on mission to serve Jesus. That's how we experience the fullness. And I kept reading that over and over, and I was thinking as the pastor of this church and, I, and people I know to other churches, oh, we cannot know the fullness of Jesus. We cannot mature. We cannot become what God wants for us, period, outside of the body of Christ. That's why Sundays are vital. That's why we got to find our roles. We got to jump in. We got to roll our sleeves up and get our hands dirty. And I go back to this. I go back to the survey. 53 uh, uh, people did a survey. 19% of the people felt that, that, that we, uh, we, I mean, most people felt we were unified, but 19% were unsure. So it's relative. There were, there's almost 20% that felt like unity might be something we got to wrestle through. So as a function of the body, look at verse 14, we, 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 we're unified, we build each other up, we have gifts and abilities because we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. This, this body of Christ, we can mature, we can grow, we can be strengthened in ways that we absolutely cannot. But look at the result in verse 14. Then, in light of the first 13 verses, David, put your name in it. Then we will, you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown from here and there by every kind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I say it again, do you believe that Satan would love to divide our church? Any church, not just our church, any church. Yes, Paul uses the language in this, it's, it's masterful here about this maturity and growing up, and then he's going to kind of end it with saying, you're not going to be babies anymore. I thought Deb was going to hold up Cyrus up here earlier if they were, you know, like a Lion King moment, but um, far too often, I've looked at this verse 14, and I've specifically addressed it with false teachings, and that's not what Paul's saying. Now, hear, hear this. He says, you're not going to be infants tossed back by, by, the, by the waves, blown here and there by every kind of teaching. But look what else he says, by the cunning and craftiness of people and deceitful scheming. There are things and people in this world that love to say things, love to do things, love to whatever. And the thing is, is what Paul is saying in the first century and the 21st century is that we got to be guarded. we got to be built up. we got to be unified. Because if we are not mature as a child that is gullible, that will go with whatever is coming your way, okay, we'll go, okay, that's what we're doing, that's who we are. 
And Paul says we got to fight against that. We got to build against the body of church, build in the body of Christ. We got to stay together. You can't just isolate. You can't just never be here on occasion. You got to fight. You got to stay. You got to grow. You have to mature so that you're not becoming like an infant that's going to go around and say, "Well, that's what we believe," or the "Church is optional," or "I don't really have to do anything." The other people can do the work. All of this stuff, or in conversations that can be splintering to the body led astray, influenced by the cunningness and craftiness of people. The old saying that there's no perfect church is true. And the church is at the top of the list. There's no church, perfect church. As long as the church is made up of sinful human beings... There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be room for the adversary to kind of splinter and pull us apart. God, help us that we may fight for this and that we may grow and mature and, and lock arms together with brothers and sisters and, and to be what God's called us to be, to forgive and we need to forgive, to repent and reconcile, keep the peace, maintain the peace, knowing to walk, all of that stuff. So that we're not floating around here like kids that are just kind of going from here to there and conversation to conversation and teaching to teaching and because there are deceitful, cunning, crafty things and people in the world that would love to pull that apart. Last couple of verses and we'll be done. Look at verse 15. Instead, speaking truth and love, we will grow. Did you see it? Not we're going to grow. It's possible. He says we will. You will. It said we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head of, that is Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body is joined together. Paul always, he, well, he uses the metaphor of the body uh, as a church. He says, from him, the whole body is joined together. In every supporting ligament, it grows and it builds itself up in love, comma, as each part does its work. We need everybody. All of us got to work together. I said it earlier, remember, I said this, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, 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 to detract or to splinter or to, uh, to criticize something that you're a part of. I think it's masterful, led by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus and to us, that it takes everybody, and there may be somebody here today that means, I just don't know where to go, I don't know what I'm gifted, let's have that conversation, I don't know what my role is, I don't know how to serve, I don't know what I'm good at, that's something we can have a private conversation about. But my prayer for this church is that we would collectively lock arms and that we would fight against anything that the enemy would want to pull us apart. It's like the old battle cry. We're going to protect our place from enemies foreign and domestic. I just was thinking about that just now, like whether it's outside influences or it's inside influence, that we're going to fight for the church. As each part does its work, Tom Rainer, in a book that I use for people who want to join the church, we walk through this. And Tom Rainer is actually the same person who organized the survey, so it's kind of cool. This is what he says about what it means to be a functioning member. This is what we look for, finding a role, finding a gift. He says this, because we are all different with different gifts and abilities, we will function differently from other members. But if we are a true and biblical church member, we will be a functioning member. One of the ongoing questions you should be asking yourself and, and God in prayer is this, how can I best serve the body? When I think of what Paul is saying, when I think about growing up in maturity and divisions and unity, I think of a church that is not perfect, growing, it's finding its niche. We're all rowing the boat the same direction. 
and when things happen, when, it's not if, but when quarrels happen, when conflict happens, when disagreements happen, it's going to happen. Those things are always going to happen. We talk about it in Romans. Not if, but when those things happen, we become the maintainers of peace. And we say, I choose to forgive. I choose not to, to, to hold that offense against you. That's what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting. It's saying, I choose not to interact with you based upon that past. I choose to, to let that go. I choose to walk away. I choose not to believe that lie. I choose to get my hands dirty and serve because I'm a part of this church that's rowing the boat that way. I want to serve the kingdom. That's the heartbeat behind Paul's words here. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read something to you. Uh, I haven't seen the universal sign for extend the sermon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this. We're going to pray and sing a song. But I want you to hear this. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays. You can turn there if you want to. But in John chapter 17, bear with me. I lost my bookmarker here. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those guys that are around him. But then in verse 20, what Jesus does is he moves and he begins to pray for all believers that will come. That's you and me. If you ever wondered if Jesus is praying for us, he prays a prayer. But listen to what he says in this light of unity in the body and the church. Look at what he says in chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not just for them, the disciples alone. He says, but I also pray for those who are going to believe in me through their message. That all of them, maybe one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Did you hear that? He prays for his 12. He prays for those that are going to come according to the message. That's us. He prays for unity, but he also prays for the unity of the church so that the world would know the gospel. One of the biggest hindrances of the gospel reaching the world could be the church. One of the biggest hindrances of the gospel reaching Olthen, Texas is, could be a divided church. He says, so that the world may know. And my prayer is that God would use us and grow us together so that Olthen, so that we work in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth so that people will look upon us and see us as a bunch of messed up sinners that need Jesus, that we're not perfect, but we forgive and we love, we show grace, we move on, we fight for each other, we find our role, and we talk, have conversations that are difficult and say, man, i got to find a place to, to, to get in this and serve the church. It's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. I've said that countless times. I'm going to find my, my, my place. I'm going to be a part of this community. I'm going to be a part of something. I'm going to build each other up. I'm going to fight for unity. I'm going to not hold grudges. I'm not going to withhold forgiveness. I'm going to keep the peace and do whatever it takes. Why? So that Jesus' prayer might come true. So that the world may know that you have sent me. Let's pray together. Before we stand and sing, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want you to be still for just a moment. I threw a lot at you, and it, you may be wrestling with unity. You may be wrestling with forgiveness. You may be wrestling with what your gift is, how to serve. You may be wrestling with stress. You may be wrestling with all kinds of things. This time and space for you is just to have another moment.
to be still, listen to the piano, just pray. I'd love to pray with you. Dev can pray with you in just a minute. But just to be still and know that he is God. But I want you to personally, every one of you, young and old, for just a moment, would you test yourself against the scriptures? How are you doing on that? How, how's your growing going? How's your maturing? Are there areas in your life that you need to confess and say, God, I'm just kind of struggling with this. I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling with being a peacemaker. I'm struggling with unity. I'm struggling with being divisive. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with not knowing my gift and how to serve and what to do. I'm just lost. God may be speaking to you in a different way than somebody next to you, but would you just listen to him, whatever that might be? And whatever he's calling of you, just respond in obedience. Just take a moment, pray, listen, and we'll stand and sing in just a minute. But you just take a moment just to talk.